Welcome back to Soulful Conversations, people. I hope you're having a ball wherever you are listening to this wonderful podcast that it is my pleasure to bring you to your earbuds. Um, I hope it's helping you get through if what you're doing is boring. Um, That's what I love a good pod for when I am doing something boring. You know, I'm often a little cynical of the political system and its ability to make positive changes. But my next guest really called those assumptions into question. I had the pleasure of speaking to a senator for the Greens, Mr. Peter Wish Wilson. You can check him out on Instagram at Senator Surfer. I have gone for a wave with him. He does like a wave. And he's a really great guy. And I think you're going to love this podcast. Okay, welcome back to a very special edition of Soulful Conversations, and I have the Senator Surfer, Peter Wish Wilson. How are you going, Pete? I'm good, Ash. I'm good. Yeah, people often laugh at that uh, that name, Senator Surfer, but one, one silver lining to this whole COVID thing this year is I've pretty much been stuck in Tassie for the entire year, and it's been one of the best uh, best years of swells that anyone can remember. So I've actually probably surf more this year than I have in the last 10 years, which I'm pretty stoked stoked about. That's awesome. At the risk of putting people onto something, (laughs) uh, where have you been surfing or what general areas do you generally surf in Tassie? Yeah, so look, being an island, um, you just go with the swell directions and the winds. Um, You've got to do a bit of travelling as a Tassie surfer, but my wife and I, Nat, um, built a beautiful place down the east coast of Tassie. We've had an old shack down there for 15 years. You know, Tassie's been one of the last places left in the country where you can, you know, you can afford to buy a shack near, near the beach. Mm. Um, and uh, that's in Bishanoe, which is kind of halfway down the east coast of Tassie, and it's got heaps of good surf breaks. It's surrounded by national parks. It's yeah, it's beautiful country, mate, and I get, get down there every chance I can. Mm. And you, you're I'll surf anywhere, depending. I'll go west coast, I'll go south coast, even north coast here where I am in Launceston today. You know, it's a bit like the English Channel. You know, you get these storms that come through, and you get these rocky beaches with no sand, but you get really good waves. So, yeah. oh, really? So you're oh, a yeah. proper, You get out a lot. Well, look, I do, mate, and, and gen- genuinely like surfing's. It's probably the reason I'm in politics, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, um, I started my activism as a community campaigner against one of the world's biggest pulp mills that was going to literally just hoover and consume and burn the spirit of Tasmania, you know, four, four million tonnes of native forests a year. But the other thing it was going to do was dump 30 billion litres of toxic industrial waste into the ocean right at my surf spot. And that's what got me off my ass to actually do something. And before I knew it, mate, I was just caught up in this titanic battle against this big, big aggressive company and corrupt politics and the whole the whole lot. But it was actually the ocean that, that it got me motivated. And, and when I got into politics, um, the company we were fighting and the project we were fighting fell over the year I got into politics. So I was like, what, else, what am I going to do now? And I suddenly looked around and, fuck, there was so much 
so much shit going on in the oceans of plastic and other forms of pollution and climate change and dodgy corporate behavior and it's a target rich environment ash there's, there's always been plenty to do <laughs> i love that that was put into a um into a positive a target rich environment <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very a politician hell bent on saving the planet there's, there's no shortage of work to do yeah well that's so good so you know like you you know, because sometimes I feel this uh, everyday disdain for politics because I feel like, oh, what can you do? They're all career, career politicians that are just doing the business, bidding of big business. And, yeah. you know, another time when I first met you, we had a chat and I realized, oh, my God, this guy, I want him to be the PM. He's actually <laughs> in it for ethics. He's ethical. It's not just because he serves. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. But I'll tell you what, you, geez, you wouldn't wish that job. I reckon even any um, being leader of any political party would be one of the hardest jobs in the world. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, someone's got to do it and you, and you need good people to do those jobs. But just the pressure and the relentless kind of um, timetable you'd have to you'd have to keep up with and, and the cynicism of it all. Yeah, it's, it's not, not many people cut out for it, but I actually think it is a pretty... A very valid criticism. I look around me in the Senate, and I'd say the big majority of people there are career politicians. Mm. Um, they've come up through you know, Labor. They might have come up through the union movement and from university politics. And you do get some some people that have done a bit with their life. And, and the libs, especially, I think they they tend to be a lot of political staffers who've been working for another senator, going, you know, going into politics. Um, but I do I do think the Greens are different. You know, I think in many ways we're reluctant reluctant politicians you know I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's our aim one day ash to wind up the party mate and, and go out of business i think mm-hmm. that'd be the bit if we're out of business mate it means we're, we're where we want to be with the planet you know and i mm. um we're, we're there to get stuff done and um yeah sometimes it's um it's hard to get around that cynicism you know it's um mm. but i you know i think we can talk about it later mate but i do i do think we're making progress yeah that's that's well I, I maybe now is a good time to to. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you one one thing before that. Sure, sure. This, this is this is, you know, this podcast. It generally is. Uh, it focuses on the personal, and what gets you through daily routines and things that you yeah. to keep happy, um, and to keep yourself, you know, your soul nourished. And you know, one thing for you, I'm sure, is surfing. But does it? Does it? Like for me, especially when COVID hit, I was um, saying I'm not going to focus on externals too much. I'm going to focus on just personally what I can change. But when yeah. you're in politics, you're actually doing the opposite of that and you need to. Um, you're doing it yeah. for political reasons. You're trying to change the externals. You're not just focusing on what you can personally change in your own life. You're trying to change things in the external. Does that ever weigh on you really heavily and stress you out and you just think, oh, my God, I'm losing it. This is just hell. Yeah, you do. You definitely have your moments. Um, now's not one of them. Ash talking to you has been a, been a highlight. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting on this massive gorilla that's bigger than me, this teddy bear gorilla with my dog on my lap looking at, looking at some trees. So I'm in, I'm in good good form at the moment. But it's, um, mate, it's, um, it's relentless. Um, and, you know, you, it's a privilege to do it to do the job and have the platform. And I, and I suppose it depends on you as a personality. And I know I get 
frustrated with the state of the world, even if I'm sitting there watching TV. And I do feel empowered that I'm in a position to actually do something. But mm. um, the point you raise is really, really important. And I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, whether it's the plastics bill we're going to go into in a minute or whether it's climate change, I just keep coming back to people and saying, look, everything you can do makes a difference, but it's not going to fix the problem. Mm. Like, I don't want to disempower people at all to take action because we, you know, it's taking action and, and remaining optimistic all the time is the only thing you can really do. But you need a political pathway for systemic change. You know, you've got to change the system. Mm. Um, to give you an example, you know, like a barrier reef at the moment, there's all this money that's gone in, nearly half a billion dollars the government put into this small foundation to, you know, to save the reef. And we all know the only thing that's going to save the reef is acting on climate change. Mm. Um, yet some of these projects, you know, like trying to grow corals again and, you know, catching coral spawn and taking them to areas of dead reef, it's all constructive, but um, that individual action is important. But if people somehow get the impression that that's going to, for example, save the barrier reef, then there'll be no political pressure for change. Like, you know, it's, it's this constant tension that I have to deal with. That I find. And on Instagram, I'm always saying, you know, that climate change is not actually an environmental problem and it's not even an economic problem, although every, every environmental problem you can think of is caused by a business decision or an economic activity. Uh, it's a political problem, first and foremost. You know, you can fix things with politics and we are not fixing them, we are making things worse. So please pick up your plastic off the beach and please do, you know, do these great things, but you absolutely must vote for change. Mm. Vote for the change you want to see or we, we will not solve this problem. And it's my job to just keep in people's ear and say, great, that, but when you go to that polling booth, your vote's really fucking important. Like there's nothing more important in my world than getting people to understand how important their vote is for change. And, you know, if they don't vote for change, and we've seen this in the US election recently, you know, you know the kind of the levels of optimism and joy and ecstasy that we've got rid of, got rid of Trump, um, you know, that political pathway is really, really important. And don't, don't forget that. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I, I do... I, I do think about that often that point that you just raised, like, you know, we try and do things with the Yeah. Like with the beach cleanups and things that we do at earth bottles and different things. And that is important, but like, once you just take a little peek and I know you've seen, seen a lot Ooh. of it. Um, I remember, I remember just being um, up uh, where uh, near chinchilla where they are doing the, um, the coal seam gas mining. And um, I think it'd been around that time I'd moved house or built a house and I was wondering about trying to uh, get a permit for chopping down a tree or we, we had some issue like that. And there they were, they were getting a bull, two bulldozers, uh, you know, with what they do with coal seam gas mining. We, we know about that, you know, drilling through the aquifers and, you know, all the stuff that they do underground. But even big, big areas of state forest, they're, just allowed to just mow it down yeah and i was just like they keep us you know like <laughs> in your local council saying oh don't chop that tree down that's right it makes yeah. you feel like oh yeah that's better for the environment <laughs> where meanwhile yeah. it's not even to say it's a drop in the bond is like no it's a drop in the ocean compared to what industry is doing and that, the only that, thing that, that can, that's right yeah and the only thing that can change that is 
the only thing that could ever control the behemoth of those massive corporations would be a government, or that's what it's yeah. for. That, that that's exactly right, Ash. And, and it's I know it sounds cynical, but there's been a lot of big corporations out there that have exploited this, you know, this feeling that individuals that we all get as, as humans who care about the planet and wanting to do something. And, and you know, pl plastic pollution is a classic example. You know, that I'm trying to get big corporations to take responsibility for the products they produce. But, you know, over the years, they've been really smart at um, putting it all back onto consumers and individuals to recycle better and pick up rubbish. And so it's never, it's always about us and not about them. And I, and I do see the same, the government with climate change. You know, I've seen the same thing. That's like put this, put the uh, responsibility onto the individual and the consumer and the citizen to cut their emissions and you know, change what they eat and do this and that. But that's because it takes the pressure off them. You know, like, mm. um, so yeah, you, you, need to, you need to do both. That, that's the bottom line. That as long as people don't, don't kind of get the impression that they can change things, they can make a difference for sure, um, but the system needs to be changed by politics. Mm, yeah. That's, it's inspiring to meet somebody committed in politics and get to talk to somebody like you. I feel very fortunate and, and literally be reminded of what is possible through politics. Um, yeah, it's a good well, thing. So what's happening well, with... Well, sorry, can I, can I just add one, just, just one thing there, Ash? You know, look, I, I think it's really important to throw this in, but I'm part of a movement that's been... It's only fairly young in the scheme of things. It's only been around 40, 50 years. But the world's first Greens party, their first, first Greens environmental party started in Tassie. Mm. Uh, and thousands of people have been before me. And they didn't want to go into politics. They, they set up a party. They, you know, apparently when they ran in their first elections, they had to draw names out of hats because everyone was so reluctant to become a candidate. Because, but they realised they, 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 no matter what they did, they couldn't change anything just by writing letters and going to protests and calling their politicians. They decided they had to, they had to form a political party to, to protect the environment and get social change from the inside. And, you know, I, I think that, that movement's you know, still very young in the scheme of things and it's changing. It's in, you know, There's green representation all around the world. But, um, yeah, that, that's still as relevant to today as it was 40, 50 years ago. And can you, know, you just, tell just me... Getting... You go on, sorry. No, you, you go, Ash. Can you tell me about some of the wins that, that the Greens have had, the, some of the biggest wins, yeah. and where you could imagine we might be without the Greens? Yeah, it's funny. I was, um, my wife and I were just camping down at um, Lake Petter National Park in the southwest of Tassie a couple two weeks ago, and I wanted to go there because it's it's a bit of a mecca for for us greenies. There was an inland lake there called Lake Petter, and it was it was a small lake, and it was this white beach, this white sandy beach in the middle of this World Heritage mountainous area. Um, and it was kind of seen as a jewel in Tasmania's wilderness and used to be a five or six day walk to get in there. And eventually um, in the forties and fifties, people started flying light aircraft and more people got to know it. Um, and then it was flooded by the hydroelectric commission here. And I think it would be fair to say, you know, it broke the heart of, of, of literally thousands of Tasmanians who love the wilderness. And that was when they decided that they were going to get they were going to get organised and get active and try and prevent that kind of thing happening again, try and stop development from ruining the wilderness. And then, of course, the next big one, like literally on, right on the heels of that, was the Franklin Dam. Um, the, the same hydroelectric commission wanted to dam one of the world's great wild rivers. 
Yeah, and look, you know, there are, that kind of protest is, is quite well known, but thousands of people got arrested. It took it took years, and it's, it really was when Bob Brown and others first got into Parliament. And, you know, Bob Hawke got involved. Actually, interestingly, it's, it's why um, the federal government took control of environmental laws, because they realised that the Franklin was what crystallised everyone's minds, that you can't leave... This, you know, the states to look after their environment. These areas are owned by the world. They're, they're you know, I mean, they're they're owned by first Australians to begin with, and then, you know, they're owned by the, all the the citizens of a state and, and nations and and the entire planet. And, the, and you just can't trust state governments to look after these matters of national environmental significance. So the Franklin was stopped, and that was a, that was a massive victory. And then, you know, I think we've gone on. We stopped two of the world's biggest pulp mills in Tasmania that literally would have ripped all our old growth forests up like if the mill here and it was a 10-year fight we won that if the mill had been built here it would have produced it would have used about 120 130 um, million tons of some of the oldest carbon most carbon rich forests on the planet mm-hmm. and all our ecosystems would have gone all the animals um yeah there, there's 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 lots of victories i could point to but um you know i think you know you need them from time to time to keep you to keep you to keep you optimistic, mm. and there's been lot there's been some really really sad losses along the way too, but mm. people haven't given up. They, uh, you know, they 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 just keep battling, and I think that's because we've all realised that, you know, yeah, the only thing you really can do at the end of the day is always remain optimistic that you're gonna you're gonna win and just keep keep taking some kind of action, be mm. it political action or otherwise. You know, um, one one other question over the years, I always hear pro-fossil fuel people saying you can't run on you can't run the country on renewables what do you think about that ah look it's that's bullshit um there's there's so many different forms of renewable energy that can be used the 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 basic argument is is about dispatchable power like you know um when the wind doesn't blow you can you know that doesn't work when the sun's not shining it's night time you know that doesn't work um you know hydro hydroelectric power can be used in in off-peak periods uh, as, and battery technology now has just been an absolute game changer. So you can have these massive solar farms and you can have wind farms and you can store that uh, mm. and you can use that. You know, we could have rolled this out 20 years ago. Mm. Um, it's been proven um, that batteries can can store baseload now and that South Australia's proven that. And there's heaps of other different, there's wave technologies that have been tried. Um, there's, there's, you know, a whole range of different ones that we we could be using and and this is this is what we say to people now you know like this is this is the time during during the pandemic and during covid to actually solve a couple of problems all all in one go you can you can create the jobs of the future and the industries of the future and the investment in in clean you know clean green technology and new industries um go replant seaweed all the kind of stuff we're working on here in tassie that can employ thousands of people uh, and you can you can help solve the environmental problem that is climate change. Um, you know, instead we're we're trying to develop more gas and more fossil fuels, and you know it's um, it's a no-brainer. And other countries are doing it, um, but Australia's you know, as you pointed to it earlier, Ash. You know, a lot of politicians are there because their political parties rely on big donors, and those donors are often fossil fuel companies and other big big corporations. And it's the same that Trump, the Trump administration, the kind of outrageous things he did. Um, that were just a you know just a clear attack on the environment um, was on on the, at the behest of big big wealthy powerful people and their corporations. And there's always a that argument, 
it seems strange that only fossil fuel, like existing fossil fuel fuel technologies, give jobs, but like, yeah. the renewable technologies will be giving jobs as well. Yeah, and like um, interesting, one of our um, one of our biggest supporters over the years has been one of, one of the um, kind of bigger unions in this country, like the Electrical Trade Union (ETU). That they saw very early on in the piece how many jobs were in renewable energy. Um, and, you know, they, uh, they've, they've always supported... And, in fact, a number of the unions now support that. Uh, and I do feel sorry for, you know, um, communities and places where there are coal mines and there, and there are coal-fired power stations. But I, I've been on Senate committees where we've been out to these places. Like, five years ago, we went out to the Hunter and went and visited Alcoa in West Australia. And we knew these communities were really concerned about their future. But you know what they said to us, Ash? They said, look, you're the bloody politicians. You're the leaders. We know writings on the wall for coal you you you, you tell us what the transition plan is going to be you, you you know you do it's your job to make sure that our kids have got better jobs than us in the future and hmm. get on get on with it and, and we still haven't we haven't even started that transition because hmm. it, it's just too easy for some politicians to exploit that division within the community hmm. i mean climate change becomes such a bipartisan issue hmm. You know, um, and and it, it's good politics, and for, for especially for the LNP, you know, that coalition is held together. The National Party and the Libs are held together because of some marginal seats in Queensland and northern New South Wales that happen to be, you know, coal seats. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's why we've we've had no progress at all. It's, it it really is politicians looking after themselves and hanging on to their power. So, what would the salute? What what could we do to? to get a, uh, the change that should have come 30 years ago <laughs> to come through now? Yeah, well, look, I think um, technology's changed a lot since then and there's been so, there's been so much more investment in in, in the alternatives. Um, I think it kind of... We, we need to be... We need to be, firstly, transitioning the, the, the base load around the country to other forms of renewable. I think that's, that's now well underway. Um, but I think for some of these communities, um, and look, Tasmania's got what we call transition towns. You know, we've seen, actually, we're probably a really good case study in this in this discussion because we were so reliant on hydro to start with and then forestry. And a number of the forestry industry has kind of slowly died a death as no one's wanted to buy conflict timber and old growth forests. And a number of communities have now found completely new identities. I mean, it takes a good 10, 20 years to transition. Mm. And it takes investment. And to give you an example, there's a you know um, Derby's a, a uh, was a forestry town in the northeast of Tassie, and um, 20 years ago, some local councillors sought some money, some grants to develop some uh, mountain bike tracks, because mm. you know a couple of a couple of mountain bikers have been coming there and cutting their own tracks. And one thing led to another, you know, that there was some more money put in by the federal government and state government, and now it's um, you know it's one of the world's prime um, destinations for mountain bikers. It's on the Enduro Challenge. It's it's now internationally renowned for its tracks. There's about 30 world-class mountain bike tracks, all through rainforests and stunning mountains. And, um, you know, the place, if anything, the place is being overrun. We've got to, got to put the brakes on and manage it carefully. But you know, to, I swear to you, 20 years ago, you would never even stop your car in this town. You know, mm. it was just run down, um, angry, just you know, a really, a really awful place for many, for many people, and and now it's just a boomtown. Just because people thought outside the box, they looked at what they had, they thought, well, you know, how can we capitalise on 
uh, what we've got. What, what what are people looking for? They're looking for you know experiential kind of tourism and healthy things to do, and they're willing to pay good money for it. And and I think our state has actually moved a long way in the last decade to find new ident- a new identity. And I think we've actually got one of the stronger economies in the country now. But it takes a while, and you have to go through a lot of pain. I had people spitting on, literally spitting on me in the streets eight years ago. You kidding No, shit, no, mate. Like, it was really... The big you know, guns, the big timber company that was going to build that pot mill went, went bankrupt, and 800 workers in my town on Launceston lost their job. And people abusing me on the plane. I had I actually had to sit at the front of the plane because it wasn't safe to sit. I had had two, two experiences where people were, like, physically threatening me, and... Like, it was tough, you know, like people lost their jobs. That's what they were used to. Uh, you know, they hadn't got any skills. They hadn't got any education. So when I look at these coal towns in Queensland, it's not going to happen straight away. Mm. You know, you've got to, there's all sorts of transition programs that we can put in place and reskill these workers. They often get payouts too. And um, that I've seen all those kind of programs over the years. Um, but you've got to start and you've got to start with education. You've got to start with training. You've got to start raising you know, skill levels in different areas, retraining. It's a big job, uh, mm. but we, we, we absolutely should be getting on with it. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this new um, plastics bill that's going down. Can you give me a bit of uh, the backstory on that? Yeah, so um, it was one of the things that I really wanted to do when I came into Parliament was, was act on plastic pollution in the ocean because it's just... You know, probably aside from climate change, it's probably one of the biggest pollution issues on the planet. And it just, no one was doing anything about it. And it might surprise you, Ash, but eight years ago, I was the first senator to talk about, to actually talk about it in the Senate. No one had even talked about it before. Now, that might seem strange now, and that's a good thing that everyone's aware of it. But back back then, you know, it was, we knew what was happening, but no one was really cottoning on to the fact we needed to act and, and do it quickly. Um, so I've um, I've chaired two really big Senate inquiries over the years and have gone around the country and taken evidence on not just the waste crisis that we've been in as a country, but also on uh, plastic pollution and, and the role that Australia plays. We've seen, we're seeing almost no research and no money go into studying the problem and that's slowly changed. I managed to work with other people to get plastic um, pollution uh, listed as a threatening process under federal environmental laws so that we could actually help protect, um, you know, especially endangered species in oceans that are impacted by plastic. So we've come a long way and what we wanted to do was we wanted to do something in legislation, something really big. So I put up a private member's bill. So that's when a senator puts up their own piece of legislation. And I wanted to do two simple things. I wanted to ban the most common plastic, single-use plastics you find in the ocean. Hmm. And the European Union did that. They actually looked at the science of what they found on beaches and in the ocean. And they said, well, this stuff, we don't need it. You know, actually, really, it is, it is stuff we don't need. And it's really deadly and it's everywhere. And we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to ban the sale of that, right? So you can't buy it anymore. Um, and hopefully people invest in alternatives, which is exactly what's happened. Um, the other thing I wanted to do was make plastic producers, which are some of the biggest and most profitable companies on the planet, the big packaging companies, responsible for the, the disposal of their product. So when they design it, when they produce it and they design it and they retail it, uh, it's set up for its end of life. So it can be recycled. Uh, it can be it can be used in a whole range of different products like repurposing. Um, it can be easily collected, so on and so forth. So, as I said before, a lot of it's been left to the consumer. 
you know, our whole our whole waste system's gone pear shaped in the last three years because we used to just export it, all our cheap shitty waste to countries like China, and they stopped taking it, and suddenly we had to deal with our own problem. So that was my 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 bill, um, and then what the government's done, and this is really interesting because you know after banging on about plastic pollution and doing all this work, I was quite nearly fell off my chair when I heard the Prime Minister at a press conference one day, and this is going back about three or four years ago, and he said his daughter had come home and said that he, as Prime Minister, needed to do something about plastic pollution because, you know, kids <laughs> kids are really important. <laughs> Parents listen when kids talk about this stuff. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's good. And, and then he went a step further. He actually addressed the United Nations in New York. Uh, and this was covered in the media, actually said, Australia's going to lead on, the, you know, this global plastic pollution problem. We're going to take a leading role. Yeah. So I was, of course, very sceptical. <laughs> but, but also part of me was also very pleased. Yeah, you know, mm. it, just seeing that recognition from eight years ago, no one was even talking about it. But suddenly a prime minister is talking to the UN about it was great. But here's the rub, Ash. Like, the, the government is putting up legislation to fix the waste crisis and deal with plastic pollution. And it's the first legislation that federal parliament has seen in over 10 years. And I reckon it'll be the last we see in the next 10 years. But um, they, plastic pollution and plastic packaging isn't even included in their bill. Right. That's, how, that's how cynical this is. So they put a, a, a ban in place on, on waste exports. So no, no one can just send their, you know, not that anyone's taking it anyway, but they've just banned, banned Australian waste companies from exporting waste, which forces us to deal with it, which is a good thing, right? So we need to build this circular economy where we can keep everything in the system, everything's got a use. Um, that'll lead to a lot of innovation and research and development and new jobs. I mean, recycling employs about 60,000 60, Australians. It's a huge mm. industry, probably a lot more than the coal industry, for example. Mm. Um, so that's a good thing, right? So the other part of their bill was designed to uh, create the architecture that would allow us to build a circular economy. Um, but they've refused to set targets for, for example, mandating uh, recycled content. So when you walk into the supermarket, you know, um, a third or a half of all the plastic packaging you see in that supermarket should already be made from recycled product. Mm. Um, or 100% of it should be compostable or recyclable. There's still a lot of products in supermarkets you can't recycle. They yeah. just go straight straight to landfill or work, even worse, they end up in our oceans and in, in our parks and wildlife. Um, and I could, you know, I could go on, but what what I discovered was that the in, the packaging industry, they have their own kind of like cosy relationship with the government. They have a packaging covenant and they set themselves these targets like recyclable content, compostable content, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but it's always been voluntary. And they've had these targets for 20, 25 years and they've never met any of their targets and no one's ever held them to account. And they were boasting about these ambitious targets they've got for 2025 and 2030. And I said, oh, good. Um, if you're boasting about them and you're confident you're going to meet them, then you won't mind if I put them into law and make them mandatory. So if you don't meet them, there'll be consequences. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, they weren't happy with that. So... Where we're at is we're saying to the government, waistband, fine, um, architecture, totally shit, not going to work. Um, you need to ban single-use plastics that everyone knows are problematic. And you need to have, you need to take the industry's voluntary targets that, that, that are just often just greenwash and spin. And we're going we're gonna to give 
You're going to give these things teeth. We're going to put them in law and we're going to hold these guys to account. Mm. Um, and I've got the support. If you look at the four big stakeholders in this waste debate, it's community groups, environment groups, it's local government, um, it's the producers and retailers of the plastic, uh, and it's the recyclers. And three out of those four stakeholders support my amendments, which are based on my, my, uh, my bill that I was bringing in myself. Um, and the only ones who don't support it are the big packaging companies, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot of, a lot of uh, we've got the recycling groups out there lobbying for my amendments to the government's bill. Um, we've got local government associations lobbying for it. We've got environment groups and others lobbying for it. And really, they're good, constructive pieces of legislation. They'll improve the government's bill. It'd be meaningful if we can pass if we can get this bill passed the Senate with these changes. Otherwise, what's going to happen is the government the government's bills before the Senate now. We think we're going to debate it uh, in two weeks' time when the Senate resumes. If I don't get my amendments to ban single-use plastics or hold big producers to account, we're just going to get this really second-rate piece of legislation that really isn't going to do anything at all, especially for plastic pollution. The government's going to tick the box. They're going to go, I've done my bit. ScoMo is going to run, go to run in the next election saying he's, you know, he's, he's done his thing for the environment, for the Greens. Um, and no one's going to be the wiser, uh, except mm. those of us who have been watching this closely and know what's going on. So um, this is our shock. Um, it's, I don't think it's a moon landing. I think it's actually really reasonable and, and, and very achievable. I'm confident I've got support in the Senate. I've got to make sure I've got Labor Party on board, but I reckon I've got the crossbench for some of my important amendments. And what might happen is we could amend the bill the government's bringing forward next week and send it back to the House and say, look, that's the Senate's job anyway, Ash. Like, our job is to review legislation and improve mm. it, amend it or reject it based on what we think is good for the country. That's why it's really important that the Senate government doesn't have control of the Senate because it is a house of review. Mm. Uh, and if the government doesn't like it, they're going to have to explain to Australian people why they don't want to ban problematic single-use plastics mm. uh, or why they let big business run circles around them. Mm. Um, and I don't think they're going to be in a position to do that because the public can see through their bullshit mm. uh, and actually want some change. This is a really significant matter of public interest, whether it's school kids or whether it's, uh, you know, most Aussies think they, they do their bit at home with recycling, with their curbside. They want to see the government do their bit. Mm. Um, and this is, to me, is the end of a long road. This is 16 years in and out of politics trying to get some action on this issue and there's a lot riding on it for me personally and um, I'm, I'm, you know, can only have a crack, but I'm, I'm confident that we've got, we've got the right formula there and it's, we're ready to go. It's one of the biggest things, yeah, it's one of the biggest things. There's a lot of big things that you could do for the environment, but this is one of the massive ones. So what can people do to get behind you on this? Well, um, the best thing they can do at the moment is to contact their, their local senators, not their, not their local members of parliament, either at state or federal level, but their local senators. Each state's got 12 senators. Um, the territories have got two. Um, they'll be voting on this bill uh, in a couple of weeks and, and, the, and, and my amendments. Um, the Green, I should say the Greens amendments, Ash. Um, and um, they can just, they, or if they could positively and constructively send an email or, or call the senator on, um, if they follow me on Instagram, I've put up um, the, the names and, and phone numbers of all their senators in different states. Um, yeah, please, a phone call is more, is more, I think, is more effective than a, 
send an email. As senators, we tend to get thousands of emails every day on lots of issues and, and even pop in, you know, pop in and have a chat to your friendly staff in your local Senate office and just say, look, I really want to look them in the eye and say, this is really meaningful for me. I, I really, you know, be, be, be positive about it, be constructive and just say, this is, let's all do this together, you know. Mm. Um, big businesses had their way for too long in this country and this is a chance to, this is a chance to do something meaningful. Mm, I think that's. So I think that could that could make a big difference. Absolutely, and I think that's clear as day for people to see. And um, the, I guess the tough thing for the everyday punter is working out, yeah, what you can do. So, like having some clear directives that you can call your local senator, and people can go and check out your Instagram. Yep. Which is. Oh, it's, I've just had Senator Surfer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just that Senator Surfer, or one word. And just take a poke around there and then the, yep. the, what they can do will become clear. And also um, Plastic Free Mermaid had did a, a good little thing on calling up the local senator. She, she sure did. Yeah. <laughs> she's got, Kate, she's got some incredible energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was cool as well. So that's what people could uh, check that stuff out and... Um, and get behind you. Yeah. And, and the, um, you know, the big environment groups, um, you know, WWF and Australian Marine Conservation Society and Sea Shepherd and Greenpeace, they've all, they've all been pushing this really hard. Um, like I said, I think, you know, I very rarely see a piece of legislation that gets so much support across the board. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, um, I think, yeah, you, some people may have received emails with, with some different things they can do. But, yeah, um, my Facebook page, Senator Surfer, as well, um, has got the same um, contact lists on, on it. Um, or people could just email me and I'll be very happy to, uh, to send them the information directly. And my email is just, um, yeah, just senator.wish, W-H-I-S-H hyphen Wilson, W-A-L-S-O-N, at A-P-H dot gov dot au send me an email and um yeah we'll uh, we'll send you the list as well that's awesome pete um yeah i just really look up to you you know i think it's so great to uh be able to speak to somebody in politics who is working based on ethics to make the world a better place i mean that's what we that's what we all want so thanks so much for your uh for your sacrifice of oh, what you're doing Oh, thanks, Ash. It's my pleasure, mate. And um, thank, thanks for all your support and all the great work you do too, Ash. So it's, um, it's, it, I, I often, uh, you know, if you get plenty of people who, who empty your glass, mate, but you, you meet people from time to time who help, help fill it, and you're one of them, and I really appreciate <laughs> Really appreciate you even listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you so much, brother, and, yeah, thanks for a great podcast. Yeah, good on you, Ash, and good good luck with your new album, mate. I'll, I'll oh, make sure I, I'll make making sure I get a copy of it. 